welcome to Up Forest and Human, the podcast. I am your host, Miranda Hannon, and here we talk about everything that is real and raw. From motherhood to herbology and everything in between, this podcast is story medicine. So sit back and relax or pop an earphone in while you wash the dishes. These next several moments are about to be great. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Of Forest and Human. I want to start off with the biggest heartfelt thank you for so much success with my very first episode. I got dozens more listeners than I ever expected, and the feedback has been incredible. And if you follow me on Instagram, then you'll know that my podcast was listed number 22 in the nation in the nature category, and I flipped out. <laughs> How amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for supporting my work from physically buying products from me to supporting my Patreon every month to listening to my podcast and DMing me or messaging me the most beautiful and encouraging words. I could not run my business without your ongoing support and every single time I get an order or a new listener or a new message, I literally just beam with gratitude. I cannot tell you how much you all mean to me and my family. And speaking of family, today's episode is diving deep into the roots of love and respect and genuine understanding for your children. And I'm I'll be speaking boldly and with integrity in this episode because I feel a fiery passion around it. I also want to say before I start this that I am not a parenting expert. I make mistakes every single day, as does every parent, even the experts. But I am an avid reader, researcher, and podcast subscriber to so many different beautiful accounts. I have been a mother for three over three years now. Um, and I and I've nannied for a total of five and a half years. I've nannied for uh, two different families with kids of different ages. I have been fascinated with the concept of parenting since I was in elementary school. I've taken college courses on infant and childhood psychology. Um, I took those in high school. I tested out several different theories with my nanny kids, and I've walked the hard and beautiful path of motherhood daily for the last three years. So let's dive in. We're going to start with infanthood. Um, There's so much to understand here, and I would have to do an entire podcast series if I were to include everything about infant psychology. Um, today I'll just be touching on a few different things that just that I just see a lot, mainly because I am once again a mother of a baby, and a lot of my friends have also become mothers of babies this year, and I've gotten several texts from them, 98% of them telling me about a situation that they're going through with a follow-up follow-up question of, is this normal? <laughs> so today we are going to discuss a little bit about infant biology. Um, which incorporates sleep, how we talk to babies, what's normal, what's not, and so on. So let's begin. We are going to start with the number one thing parents are asked when they have a baby. And it's not, how are you healing during postpartum? Or do you feel emotionally bonded with your child? No, these questions um, simply don't matter. (laughs) Sarcastic. But the number one question of all has to be, are they sleeping? Are they a good baby? 
Good Lord, you guys. If I had a dollar for every single time another human has asked me about sleep, I would have like so many dollars. (laughs) I remember guilt washing over me with my first baby anytime that question was asked. I felt embarrassed and tried to give like some excuse as to why she wouldn't sleep so that the person who was asking wouldn't think that she was a bad baby. Like I'd be like, oh, she would be sleeping, but she's teething. Or maybe she would sleep better if we had a stricter routine. So I'll try that next. We followed hospital safe sleep protocols. You know, swaddle, binky, sleep in a different room, on your back only. And let me tell you, this so-called modern day method did not work with my girl. And I realized it wouldn't work after months and months of trying absolutely everything. Being completely alone and depleted of energy and sleep, I remember resorting to the cried out method. This was the number one thing recommended to me from people I trusted and loved. So from birth, I was told not to hold her when she slept. And because, you know, you don't want to create bad habits. (laughs) I would lay her down in her crib, on her back. I would spend hours googling baby sleep schedules none none worked absolutely nothing worked i tried the cried out method for almost six weeks until my tears were greater than hers and we had made absolutely no progress the longest i made her cry it out was 45 minutes and she screamed and cried um it wasn't and it wasn't even just crying you know it was full-on panic but I was doing what everyone else was doing. So how come it wasn't working with my kid? And then I came to the conclusion because that's not meant to be our story. I came to the realization that there's no human in the world that can lay down flat on their back and be asleep quietly within five minutes and then sleep 12 hours straight, not ever even waking up for water or because they heard a noise. It is so sick and demented and twisted that we have these expectations expectations for these little babies um, who don't even have fully developed brains like this is crazy so let's talk about why it is not natural for young infants to sleep through the night around four six eight and twelve months the baby's brain goes through these rapid developmental transformations these are also known as sleep regressions this causes frequent night wakings, mostly due to hunger because they're growing so much in their sleep, but a lot of it is due to the brain um, not transitioning sleep cycles, but because it is literally being wired every single moment, every single second, not to mention gross spurts, teething, etc. When babies are left to cry it out, they learn that love abandons. The theory that if a baby is fed with a clean diaper, then all their needs have been met is so absolutely ridiculous. If a family adopts a five-year-old or a 12-year-old or 15-year-old, they will tell you how the first year is absolutely crucial in developing an emotional bond. In fact, parents almost work harder at trying to develop trust than even meeting that child's basic needs. I mean, they still meet them, but they you have to work harder to develop that emotional trust bond. So why do we assume that babies are these like a little these little emotionless robots? Their cry is supposed to trigger mothers. It was biologically designed in us to answer every single cry. And the fact that our society praises detached parenting so much is a major red flag about our society. In 87% of other countries and cultures, and by the way, I'm going to be be putting links to 
um, the research and the studies and the statistics that back all of this up. I'll put these in the show notes. Um, but in 87% of other countries and cultures, the baby sleeps next to the mother for at least the first year of his or her life. This is because a baby has been literally made from your cells, your flesh, and your actual bones. In pregnancy, your body extracts nutrients from your bones to create your baby. You are sewed together for nine months. This baby is designed is designed to know your distinct smell. He is soothed by your voice and none others. The first three months of his life, he doesn't realize that he's out of your outside of your body. And this is why it is essential that mostly the mother holds him or wears him. You want to really create a womb-like experience for your baby those first 12 weeks. Soft noises, gentle touches, dim lights, warm bodies, skin to skin, Allowing them to cry it out so that they can, so that you can sleep is the single most selfish act of parenting. One of the most selfish acts of parenting. Um, like don't have a baby if you aren't willing to enter the servitude that motherhood requires. Even just 10 minutes of crying is still bad. And I know that this sounds harsh, but allowing an infant to cry it out literally causes problems for the rest of their life and was something that didn't even exist until the 1950s which again, I'll link below. Um, crying it out causes rapid heartbeat, feeling completely abandoned, worry, extreme anxiety, and study after study has found that adults who are forced to cry it out as babies are 10 times more prone to anxiety attacks, lack of being able to attach to others, and especially those who are you, who you are supposed to love the most. Fear of loneliness, abandonment, and inability to trust others. I probably named a symptom there that you or a friend have. Um, Ask them if their parents let them cry it out as infants, and I think that you'll be shocked. So all of this to say, what does normal sleep look like for a baby? How can we understand this? We can begin by understanding that age-appropriate sleeping through the night for infants means waking up to nurse as many times as they need to and falling asleep while nursing or immediately after without needing to be rocked, bounced, um, you know, etc. Normal sleep is waking up three to seven times a night to nurse. Normal baby sleep is taking 30-minute naps during the day or taking two-hour naps during the day. Normal baby sleep is needing to be held by mama to ease that separation anxiety that occurs around the four-month mark. And it's okay to hold your baby all day long. It is okay if they want to comfort nurse multiple times a day. It is normal and healthy for your baby to sleep next to you at night. It's okay if they only want you. It's healthy. It's ingrained in them. It is also healthy if they love going to other people that they trust. It's normal for your baby to set his or her own boundaries around what or who they feel is safe. It is healthy for them. All of this, all of this is healthy for them. I want to just take a moment and give you permission to set aside any advice you've received from another person or a book and focus on what feels good for you and your baby. There's been a million parenting books written out there, but there's never been a book written about Miranda and Ivor or about Miranda and Ophelia. You must rely on your intuition above all else because it will rarely lead you astray. I give you permission to cast aside others' opinions and only do what feels right to you. You are the best, the chosen parent for your child. 
love them, hold them, care for them. You will have a child for the rest of your life, but you will only have your baby for one year. Babies don't keep, guys. Don't make the mistakes that I made and regret so much about your child's infanthood. My daughter ended up developing a sleep anxiety that grew so intense that she got night terrors for years. At 18 months old, she would just uncontrollably shake at bedtime and wake up in total panic that we weren't there. So we started co-sleeping because um, it she she just needed that safety. You know, she just needed to know that we were there. Finally, at three years and two months old, well, I guess when this podcast comes out, she'll be three years and three months old. She has a really healthy relationship with sleep. Bedtime up until this point would take over an hour every night for years, years. When we moved to our new house in April of this year, so 2021, I thought it was 22 for a second. Um, Gosh, is it 2022? (laughs) This is postpartum brain. This is postpartum brain for you. Um, But when we moved to our new house in April, we decided to stop forcing naps and specific bedtimes. Even though we laid with her every single night until she fell asleep, the anxiety was still there. We became, we decided to totally let go of control. We became so, so laid back with bedtime. And when she realized that she could be in control of it and listen to her own body and her own body's cues, bedtime immediately started taking less than 10 minutes. And I cannot even believe I'm saying that (laughs) because it was such a nightmare for so long. It was a battle. I reached out to so many people. We even considered taking her to a sleep specialist. You know, it was a nightmare because we, like so many parents, thought that we knew what was exactly best for her, even if her body didn't agree. When we stepped back and allowed her to set her own limits, she flourished. She loves bedtime and she plays bedtime every single day with her dolls and stuffed animals. She wakes up around 6 or 6.30 every morning now doesn't nap during the day and she feels ready to go to bed and it's very consistent between 5 45 and 6 30 every single night and it takes less than 10 minutes she will wake up periodically asking for water but the panic attacks are far and few between talking about this um talking about all this sleep stuff and toddler has naturally merged us into the toddler topic that i wanted to discuss um so when we step back and when we give up the control that is ingrained in us to believe that we need to have over our children, specifically toddlers, they will excel beyond what we ever believed they could. Like for instance, giving up the idea of bedtime. Is this big, huge bedtime routine something that is actually benefiting our children or do we only push it because it's something that's expected from our culture of us? Most parents and kids dread bedtime or they feel so overwhelmed by it and they rush through it instead of being really present with their children at one of the most sacred times of the day. If bedtime is not working for you or if it's super overwhelming, can I just like give you permission to stop? Just let go. Encourage your child to listen to their own bodies. If they are seven years old and need to go to school by 8 a.m. and are totally wired even at 10 o'clock at night, then you've missed their body's sleep rhythm. And if if you're going to be giving up um, the bedtime routine, you need to really start learning your child and learning their body's cues. 
From observing my daughter, we've noticed that if we miss her cues that she's tired, she catches this like second wind of crazy, (laughs) way overtired, running off of adrenaline. If your child is showing signs of being tired and ready for bed by 645, but this isn't like culturally appropriate, just let them sleep. They know what they need better than you do sometimes. And if they absolutely cannot settle, I encourage you to completely get rid of screens in the home for at least three days and let me know if you see a massive difference because I could almost bet money that you will. Um, Screens and shows are so overstimulating to children's brains, especially young children, um, and should not even be introduced until they're two or older. And wow, I have so much I want to say on that topic, but another day. (laughs) On the topic of toddlers... There are certain key points I would really like to address. Um, And as you can tell, if you follow me on social media or if you know me in real life, is that we gentle parent. This does not mean permissive parenting. Gentle parenting is holding real life expectations for our children that are age appropriate for them and and allowing natural consequences and discipline to take place when those expectations are broken. Discipline does not mean we are screaming at them and spanking them, and it's it's actually the opposite. Discipline is a Latin word with roots meaning knowledge and instruction. So when we discipline our children, we are simply teaching and guiding, not shaming, not hitting, not enforcing. We see discipline as opportunities to grow, and as parents, it's our duty to guide and discipline our children in love and connection. A big part of learning how to effectively discipline is understanding what is age appropriate for your child, not just expecting them to be who or what you think they should be. Our daughter is three years old. I feel like I've talked about her so much this episode. (laughs) Um, Three is that beautiful age that children test limits. There's so much to discover and they're learning so much. They might be destructive while trying to naturally learn about cause and effect. They may tell you no very loudly because they aren't feeling heard or they don't understand the why behind what you're telling them. They may hit someone else just to see how you'll react. This is all age appropriate for them. When big feelings like this occur, the answer is not to stay perfectly calm. Are you surprised to hear me say that? (laughs) I tried staying totally perfectly calm when my daughter was like 18 months to two years old. And it actually just made her more angry, which of course, of course it did. Can you imagine being furious and enraged and your spouse is like, take three deep breaths. (laughs) Wouldn't that just infuriate you? I know it definitely would for me and it has for me. So let's stop expecting ourselves to be these perfect emotionless robots to our children. What we can do instead instead um, of being totally perfectly calm is display anger, sadness, annoyance, etc. in a respectful and controlled way. You can feel rage while still being in control of your actions. So let's teach that. Let's guide that. You can even voice to your child, I feel really angry. I need to go outside and cool off for a minute. This is an amazing way to feel what you're feeling while showing your child a positive way to handle that big emotion. Even if you lose it on your child, it's not ideal, but it is okay because you are a human. The big thing would be to go to them after you've um, 
kind of freaked out. And after once your body is calm, go to them and say, I was feeling really angry when I said that to you. And I did not mean it. I have, I had a really hard time controlling my body. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? I cannot even begin to tell you how many times I've apologized for being short with my daughter. And you know what? She mimics it. If she feels something with her entire body and loses control, I never push apologies or make her apologize. She will do it naturally in her own time. It's, it's because it's what she's seen. If your child is losing it, especially in public, it can be so hard on parents. We live in a society that children are not welcome in. We like have this adult child separation where kids have their own worlds and adults have their own world. Kids have a kid table. Adults have their own table. Like, why is this? Why aren't we united? Maybe if this separation didn't exist, we would realize our children are humans. And the biggest, the biggest difference between us and them is time. If our society was more accepting of children, we wouldn't stare at the child having a meltdown at the store. We wouldn't go to our cars and gossip like, can you believe what that mom did or didn't do? She needs to control that kid. (laughs) If you are the victim of gossip like this, I am so sorry. I am so sorry that people have stared instead of supported you. If Um, Your child having a real life emotional meltdown does not reflect who you are as a parent. Even the best parents and experts have children who melt down. It is natural. It is normal. Um, They sometimes kids just need that extra attention in those hard moments. Haven't you felt emotional in public before? Haven't you felt that burning feeling of anger in your chest understand that most children do not have the emotional or mental capability to be able to regulate and process these emotions on their own and that's where we the adults with a fully developed brain can come in and help sometimes if a child is experiencing a lot of emotion they cannot be reasoned with in that moment they just need um, to really feel it and cry and that's totally okay instead of saying like you're fine. You're fine. Like stop crying. We can say, you can cry about this as long as you need to. I'm here for you and you're ready to talk. Sometimes that means taking them somewhere uh, more private and holding them while they cry and process and not rushing that emotion, not rushing. Oh, Lord knows we need to stop rushing. (laughs) Um, another thing sort of related to what we're discussing is that kids are not stupid. In fact, toddlers are some of the most honest, intuitive people you will ever meet. They are learning to speak for themselves and they desire, like we do, love and respect. You can respect your child by not belittling them, not talking down to them um, like they're dumb. Stop talking to your child in third person like, oh, mommy doesn't like that. Instead say, hey, I don't like that. It doesn't feel good to me. Talk to them like you would any other adult. They do not need to be dumbed down. Give them tasks and responsibilities. They will thrive when they feel responsible for things. Ophelia's responsibilities include feeding the dog, clearing her spot at the table, getting herself dressed, making the bed, sorting laundry, putting sticks in the fire to heat her house, sweeping, cleaning the mirrors, washing her own dishes and putting them on the drying rack. And here's the crazy thing. These so-called chores are not written down anywhere. They aren't even talked about. These are things that she takes the initiative to do because we work as a unit in our family. Everybody helps clean 
up and keeps the house running. That's not just my job. And when she does something that's helpful, she isn't praised obsessively. (laughs) I have heard people praise toddlers for simple things like putting their own shoes on by themselves. They praise them like they've just won like a Nobel Peace Prize or something. We do not make a big deal in our house other than simply thanking her for her help because it's normal. She does not do tasks um, to get a prize or a treat. She does it because our family is united and it's what needs done. It, I mean, it's what we need to do to keep order in our house. I think in our society, we just belittle kids by overpraising them. Like we are genuinely surprised that they are capable of tasks. We belittle them by talking to them in third person, by not thinking that they're capable of seeing our true feelings in a healthy way by trying to shove them in a corner and forcing them into submission and silence when they feel sad or angry. A toddler who blindly complies to anything you tell them to do is not healthy. It is healthy and normal for them to question, doubt, push boundaries for themselves. It's okay for your child to tell you no. Instead of being mad at them for telling you no, explore the why behind it. Do they feel genuinely unsafe in this moment? Do they have an idea that's actually better? If they are refusing to get ready for the day or unwind from the day, is it maybe because they haven't authentically connected with you yet? If the house is trashed and you're running late, etc., it doesn't matter. Take five minutes to play with and connect with your child. They so often run from place to place not knowing what's next, and that's not okay. You wouldn't be okay with it. Communicate with them. Connect with them. They are so incredible at living in the present, and we often fall so short of that. If they feel rushed, they will almost never go faster. It's too much for them to process. As the adult, plan ahead. Make enough time for your snuggles and giggles and love. It is not on your child to have to pay for the crime of you being unorganized and behind. Our society is so disconnected from how beautiful and wonderful the toddler stage can be. You are warned of the terrible twos and the three-nagers and... I'm so sorry that people have taken the joy out of these beautiful young years and replaced it with fear and doubt. You do not need to control your toddler. They are already more themselves than they'll ever be. It's not your job to raise them into compliant, unemotional robots. If you are taking their behavior personally, then you have triggers and deep roots you have not yet worked through. So work on these. Write down what triggers you. Find the root and consciously move forward to resolving that. What if we thought of our toddlers as mirrors, like these little mirrors that show us, the adults, the deepest part of ourselves and what we need to work on the most? What if we saw them as the tender souls that they are trying to navigate this great big world and us as simply their compass, their guides to being their true selves? We started um, homeschool, preschool with Ophelia, and I asked her on the first day what she wanted to be when she grew up, and she said a pistachio. <laughs> I asked again, I said, what do you want to do? What do you want to like be? And she said, without even thinking twice, mama, everything I want to be, I already am. I like got instant chills down my spine. Like, yes, my love, you are already everything you need to be. You don't need me for that. I think that we are not executing optimal parenting in our country. At the end of the day, I want you to go to bed not feeling totally exhausted, but I want you to love parenting. I don't want you to dwell on the bad that happened, but I want you to say, wow, I handled that situation so much better than I thought I would. I am capable to raise these children. 
I know, I know that motherhood is so exhausting, but maybe it's so exhausting because of how we think about it. The memes we see, the reels and TikToks of moms that, you know, like live for the laundry piles and the kitchen mess and they videotape their kids being the inconvenience that they are. Um, Gosh, that just drives me crazy. (laughs) I challenge you to replace your child's name with my love. Like, come here, my love. My love, can you grab the toy from the living room? It will absolutely change how you feel about them if you're having a hard day. If you feel like you're about to lose it on them, say out loud exactly what you want to do. And it it puts things into perspective. Like, I'm so angry, I want to hit you. Like, say it to yourself. Don't threaten your child with it, you know. But then you'll be like, when you hear it out loud, loud, you'll be like, wait, what did I just say? We do not do the traditional punishments that most parents do, you know, no spanking, grounding, hitting, yelling. And there are so many people that are genuinely shocked that Ophelia respects us so well. When you treat your child like a human being, not an inconvenience, when you invite them to live in your world and not just in a room with their toys, you'll be shocked at the transformation that can happen. Give them space for those big, big feelings. Guide them, discipline them with love. One thing I do when my daughter starts to panic or freak out is I get down on her eye level, hold my hands out with my palms up, and I say, come down, love. Meet me here. I see you. I hear you. Help me understand. I literally say that exact sentence on a weekly basis, that exact line. She immediately will melt into my body and cry or just hug me. It is not you and the problem against your child. It is you and your child against the problem. You are on the same team. You are united. You are one. Let's really try to remember that as we parent these beautiful little tender souls. Um, I think I'm going to wrap up here. So I just want to recap and say, I want your relationship with your child to be fulfilling, beautiful, respectful, rich, and full of deep, unconditional love. When you understand what is developmentally appropriate, appropriate for them, Um, When you understand the maturity their brain is at and how they truly process situations, you will be able to hold them with so much more grace and guide them so much better. Children are such a gift to this world. They are not an inconvenience. Stop following these accounts that show memes or videos of children being in the way and start following ones that show how to regulate emotions and how to love them through it. Our children are our, our future. Loving them and answering every cry from infanthood to holding space for them in toddlerhood is absolutely essential for optimal emotional well-being and development. When you, the, when you parent the child that's in front of you rather than the child you wish you had, you will find so much more peace and acceptance. You are capable of having a beautiful mother-child relationship. You are capable of having the parenthood you dreamed about your entire life. And it all starts with respecting our children, understanding where they are in life, empathizing with them, respecting them, making eye contact, loving them unconditionally, slowing down. If you are a parent listening to this today, you are doing an incredible job. Let's start supporting one another and lifting each other up. Dropping a meal off to a mom friend who's had a hard night with a teething baby. Um, Offering encouragement to a mom at the store who's trying to keep it together. Saying hi to children in public and offering a genuine smile. This is how we change the world, you guys. This is how we be the change. By raising confident, helpful, genuinely empathetic, and kind children. Let's invest in them because they are our future. They are everything. (music) 
you for joining me on another episode of Of Forest and Human. If this podcast sparks curiosity, I warmly invite you to my website, offorestandhuman.com, where I offer incredibly potent, wildcrafted herbal body oils, serums, tinctures, and salve. If you are wanting to support my work on a deeper level, please visit my Patreon. I have two tiers, both play host to in-depth monthly videos and tutorials, recipes based off ancestral nutrition, DIYs, patron-only Q&As, a community board, monthly giveaways, discounts, and early access to products and podcasts. If you're wanting to take it even deeper, my Wild Rose tier, which is priced at $25 a month, grants you the opportunity to become an affiliate for Of Forest and Human, meaning you get a personalized link to send to friends and family and you earn a commission from their orders. You never have to buy anything from me and you can make money. This tier also comes with a one-on-one monthly call from me and bonus videos and tutorials. If you aren't already, please follow me on Instagram at of.forestandhuman and give this podcast channel a follow. Wherever you are listening in the world, I trust that you are here for a reason. Thank you for showing up and supporting my work. I can't wait to host you next time.